So if you are uh, new or, um, or haven't been here for the last few weeks, I know people in the summer taking all sorts of fun trips and on vacation, but here's what we're doing this summer over, the, over 12 weeks, and this is our fifth week. We're kind of talking about what is it that we believe as a church, who are we as a church. The name of our church is True Life Church, and really what is this idea? What is true life? What does that mean? About uh, two years ago, we st- some of you were around, many of you not, we started uh, meeting in our home and kind of just talking about what would it look like to start a new church and and what is this idea? What does it mean to have true life? Jesus says that I came to give life and life to the full, or I came to give life and life abundantly. What does that mean? What does true life mean? And so we're really kind of taking the summer to talk about that idea. In the first four weeks, we talked about our relationship with God. And what does that mean? What does it look like to have a relationship with God? And if you weren't here, you can get those uh, online and would encourage you to listen to those if you're kind of checking things out and curious about who we are and, and what it is that we uh, are about and want to be about as a, as a new church. And so that's the first four weeks. What is the gospel? Who is Jesus and how has he saved us? And then these next four weeks, beginning today, we're talking about our relationship with one another. Who are, who are we together? So we talked about who are we in relation to God, and then who are we together? And really, what, what that question is, is what is the church? Not just this church, but what is the church? What is the church? And if you were to ask somebody, what, what's the church? I mean, people may have uh, various thoughts. I mean, probably the most common thing that people would think is it's a building, right? I mean, many of you may have told somebody today, I'm going to church. I think I've said that to somebody. I'm going to church, right? It's a building. If you say... Uh, I think the name of this, this church has been here since the 50s, I believe, and its name is Sloan's Lake Community Church. Uh, we, we use their building. And this is a church building. And so if, if you ask people, what is, what is the church? Many people would think, oh, that's a, that's a building. It's a place that you go to. Or maybe an answer that you might get is some of the activities that happen in a church. So if you ask somebody, hey, tell me what the church is, they may say, oh, that's where people sing, and it's where uh, a guy gets up and talks, and there's maybe certain sacraments, baptism, and communion, and, and some of the activities that take place within the church, within the church building, right? So what is the church? Maybe some people would say it's a building, a place you go to, or the activities that happen within it. But the the main image that the Bible gives when it talks about the church is that it's a family. That's the main image. When When you look through the Bible, the main thing that it talks about is that the church is a family, that it's a community. And that's really what we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about, is what is this idea of community? What is this idea of community? So what is the church? What the Bible says is that it is a family. It's a community. And this was always, this is always and has always been God's plan. God's plan has always been to make a family for himself, a people for himself. We even, we, even in the psalm that we read to begin with, it talked about how we are his people, that he has made us his people, that God's plan from the very beginning, from, from the Garden of Eden, was always to say, I'm making a people for myself. So one of the things that we said uh, in the second week in this series was that God most wants, what God most wants for you and for I is our joy. So what God really, really, really wants for our life is joy. And so what he does is he gives us the best thing that he can think of, which is himself, that he gives us his very self. 
And that's true, but to be more accurate, what's more true is he doesn't just say, hey, it's you and me, but that he gives us a family that he brings to himself. That it's not just God says, hey, I give you me, but he says, I give all of you a family with me as the father. And this is what God has always been doing. This has been his plan from the very beginning. And this is what the church is today. But it's what God's plan, how he's been working, what he's been doing, is to make for himself a community of people. To make for himself a people, the Bible says, for his own possession. A people that belong to him. This is what God's plan is. This is what the church is. This is what God wants for us. This is what God gives to us is community. Okay? And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. But let's kind of just back up and talk about this idea of community. Because all of us desire community in some way or another. So let's talk about this. Why is it, here's the things we'll talk about tonight. Why is it that we want community? Why is community difficult? And how do we get the kind of community that we were designed for? This is what God's plan has been since the very beginning. And then the next several weeks, we'll, we'll talk about several other ideas around community. So first is this. Why do we want community? And maybe some of you are like, I don't. But you do, okay? Maybe just on a different level. Everybody does. Every human, every culture, every society has always wanted community. Friendships, people to be in relationship with, people to belong to. This is somebody that everybody has always wanted. Even if you say, I'm really introverted and I don't like to be around people. That may very well be true, but you still want to be around some people. Maybe like two, okay? But you still want to be around somebody. Or maybe you don't want to be around anybody physically because you've been hurt or because people have betrayed you or various things, but you still want to be around people as you play video games by yourself with a headset that you're connected to other people in the world or on Facebook, or on different things. You can, I mean, almost all games and, you know, social media. You can watch TV, and it's supposed to be social and tweet with it. And I mean, people want to be connected. We want to belong to something. This is not just a a Christian thing. This is a human thing. From the very, very, very beginning, every society, every culture, I mean, you can't have a society, have a culture, if people were just lone individuals. People want to belong to something. And we create all sorts of ways to do this, right? I mean, there's any sort of weird or awesome thing, and what's weird to one person is awesome to another person, community forms around it. Whatever you like. You like to sew? There's sewing clubs. You like comics? There's Comic-Con. You like superheroes and all that? Great, we have something for you. You can go on meetup.com, type in anything that would... I, I did this. You can type in anything that you could imagine, and there's a group of people around it. There's a club for people that love ferrets. If you, ha- if you have a ferret and you didn't know that, you can have community around ferrets. Some of you are excited right now. So there's all sorts of, we, we long for community, right? And we seek out ways to create it. This is a human thing. It's a longing that we have. We love ferrets. We love community, okay? Two key human longings that everybody has. We long for community. Why, though? Why is that a human norm? Why is that something that's so ingrained inside of us? Why is it that we long to belong? As I had a professor that used to say, he had all sorts of rhyming things. The longing for belonging, okay? So why do we have the longing for belonging, as my psychology professor used to say? Here's what the Bible says. It says that 
We are made in God's image. And let me read this to you. And I don't know if you can see it out there. Can you see that these are highlighted in yellow? Okay, great. I'll tell you why in a minute. That's not actually, the Bible doesn't actually have those words highlighted. I did that, okay? So here's what it says. Then God said, this is the very beginning, this is in Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here's here's what the Bible says. Why do we have this longing for community? Why do we have this longing to belong to other people? Not to just do life by ourselves, but to be connected to other people. The Bible says that we are made in God's image, which means we're made to reflect him. We're made to be like him. We're made to be an image of him in this world. That's how we are made. But what is God like? Well, it's really interesting because it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That there's this plurality. So when God speaks... He speaks saying, let us do this after our, in our likeness. So what that means is that there's some sort of plural thing going on in God's nature. Now, this is what the Bible teaches. It's a Christian doctrine called the Trinity. And if some of you are new to the church or just checking things out, this may sound kind of odd to you. And if you've been a Christian for all of your life, it may still sound odd to you. And that's okay. But the idea of the Trinity is this. That God is one God, but exists in an eternal community of three persons. Okay, now this is weird. So if you're like, huh, that doesn't make any sense. That's okay. One early church leader said, if you try to, if you deny the Trinity, you lose your salvation. And if you try to understand it too much, you lose your mind. Okay, and I've always loved that quote because I feel like, great, I'm right there. I'm right in between, okay? But here's what this means. It's not that God is three different gods. We're not polytheists that believe in multiple gods. But it's also not that God is just a unipersonal, strict monotheism of this one personality. It's that there's some sort of mystery that in eternity, God has existed in community. That in eternity, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is even as we sing songs or when we baptize people, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is one God, and yet there's some sort of mystery where in his oneness, there is unity and diversity. The closest thing that I think we have of this on earth is in a marriage. In a marriage, you have two people, but the Bible says two become one. And there's some sort of, you know, it's not, this is not a perfect analogy, but something happens where these two people with two separate lives, they maintain their oneness, their individuality, but they come together and form a new unit where they have the same last name, they have the same bank account, they have the same roof over their heads, they have the same, and, and the healthier the marriage, the more that there's a oneness between them. Two become one. That's what it's like with with God. Okay, and I know that that's kind of weird and it's kind of hard to wrap our heads around, but what the Bible teaches is that God has existed in his very nature 
in community. Now, here's why this is really important. Many people like the idea that God is love. Okay, if you, if you believe in God, you probably don't say, I believe in a God of hate. Right? I mean, I, don't, I, I encounter a lot of people that don't know necessarily what they believe completely, but they know they believe in a God of love. But if you do not have the idea of a trinity, you cannot have a God of love. Because if God is just a one unipersonal being, in his very nature, he is not love. Because who was he loving before? I mean, to love, there has to be someone else that you're loving. This is why many religions, especially the old pagan religions, what they taught is that where did humanity come from? They were created because God needed something. God needed servants. God needed people to to do things for him. But what the Bible teaches is that God has always been in a loving community. And out of an overflow of love. So they have this perfect community of love where each of them is loving one another. And love is flowing between the three in one. It spills out into creating others to share in that love. I mean, we we talked about God created us so we would experience joy. But if God needed something, which is what most religions teach, in some aspect, in some way, he would create people. But we don't believe that. What we believe is that God has always existed in a loving community, and because there was such love, just like when you love something, you want other people to share it. Whenever we love something, we want to bring other people to share it, right? So God has always existed in loving community, and he said, we want, there's so much love here, it can't be contained. We want other people to share that. So let's create a world, and let's create humans, and let's let's create them to enjoy relationship with us, and let's create them to, to reflect us to one another so they can even more fully enjoy this community that we have had for eternity. So here's what this means, okay? God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We are made in the image of God. God is always in community, which means community is in our very DNA. Community is in our very DNA. That we are made, since we're made to reflect God, we are made to be people that need and want and desire community. Because God didn't make us trinities, right? You are not a trinity. I am not a trinity. So though we're made to reflect God, unlike God, we need other people to actually fully image him, to fully reflect him. Now here's what's interesting about this. God creates out of an overflow to love. He makes us in our very DNA to be like him, so we're made for community. And then everything else, everything else, when you read through Genesis, it says God made the sun and the moon, and he says, it's good. God made the beasts of the field, it's good. God made everything, it says, and he says, good, good, good. Some of you maybe, you know, disagree on a couple, like, what about mosquitoes? But God said, good. Now, I don't, maybe they didn't used to suck blood. Maybe they asked for your blood. I don't, I don't know, you know, maybe they were a little more polite. But God said, everything he made was good. Except for, there was one thing God said was not good. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And this is when he makes Eve. And that word helper is not some sort of 
like a, you know, a maid. It's, just, it's, a, it's a person that is a companion suitable to him to live life with. So this is interesting because what it says is that God looks at everything he made and says it's good. The one thing he says that's not good is that man should be alone. And now, many people use this verse at their, at their weddings, and it has implications for that, but it's broader than that. It's because humanity was not meant to be alone. So God says, everything I've made is wonderful and good and beautiful, but the one thing that is not good is that Adam is by himself in the garden. That's the one thing that's not good. Sometimes, as Christians, I hear people say things like, Sometimes with, uh, with boasting, I don't need anybody but God. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody, just me and God. And yet, God would say, actually, no. Your life is incomplete just with me and you. Some people say it with guilt. I've talked to people that say, ah, man, I should be able to live my life just me and God. I should be able to... F- to figure it out on my own. I should be able to handle things on my own. I should be able to love God on my own. I should be able to grow on my own. I should be able to, and feel kind of a sense of guilt that they need other people in their life to help them. But the Bible says, and maybe this sounds controversial, but that God is not enough for you. Now, there's a positive way to think about that, and we talk about it all the time, that you shouldn't worship other gods and that God alone should satisfy us. But, but what the Bible teaches is that because we are made as community creatures that have that longing, it's in our very DNA, that we will never fully be who we in, are intended to be by ourselves. Not even by ourselves with God, but that God creates us to be people in community. Now, here's the thing. We, we already know that. Like, nobody says... I don't think community is important. I don't want any community in my life. We, we already know that. I'm just showing us the biblical foundation that in our very DNA, God says we are made like him to be people in community. Why do we want community? Because it's in our very DNA. We're made for it. We are incomplete without it. Listen, you will never, I will never, none of us will ever be who we are truly supposed to be as humans by ourselves. Just won't happen. You'll never truly be who you are. You'll never live fully alive just by yourself. God intends other people to do things, to shape us, to bring about certain realities that we can't experience on our own. Now, while that's true, what makes community difficult? Because if you're like me, which I know we all have experienced this. You may say, man, some of my best, probably your best memories, right? Like, what are your best, think about your best memories. They're probably not you by yourself watching a TV show, right? They're probably not, oh man, this one day I was all by myself and I was reading an awesome book. That's probably, I mean, not, not that, I mean, I love to do that. That's not probably your best memory though, right? Your best memories, your deepest joys probably involve other people. It might just be one other person, maybe a spouse or your family, or it might be 10 friends in college, or I, I don't know, but you're, I, I'd be shocked. Come tell me after the service. If your best memory is, I was all by myself, right? But on the other hand, your worst memories, probably not when you were by yourself either, right? 
probably not, man, I was by myself. I stubbed my toe. It sucked. Right? Your worst memories, my worst memories, involve people that have hurt me, people that have betrayed me. Your worst memories involve people that have disappointed you, that have harmed you, that have abused you, that have, that have been in your life in a way that was hurtful. So the very thing, I mean, this is such a conundrum, right? The very thing, the very thing that is supposed to be, man, we are made for it. It's in our DNA. It's where our deepest joy comes from. Is also the very thing that causes so much difficulty, right? I mean, it's the very thing that causes so much pain and so much hurt and so much disappointment. So why is it that if, man, we're made for community and this is what we long for, why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult? And what happens in all the way back, you know, same, same scene we were looking at is God creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden. What happens is, and we've talked about this, they turn against him. The lie is told, you can be like God. You can be like God. You don't have to live your life under God's rule with him as king, with his blessing and his favor. You can be like God. And it says they desired to be like God. They desired to be wise. And that's the core of sin. It's this self-centeredness. I want what I want. I want to be in the place of God. That's the core of sin. Sin is doing bad things that you've heard about. Yeah, that's true. But the core of sin is a self-centeredness. And I think we can all agree on that. Wherever you are, of what you believe in faith and God, we can all agree we don't like people that are self-centered. And that a lot of harm comes when people are focused on themselves. And the Bible says this is the core of sin. It's when we focus, when our core of life is ourselves. And so immediately what happens, immediately what happens is when that takes place, when they turn away from God, when they put themselves in the place of God, their relationships break down. They blame one another. They hide from one another. Then the very next the very next scenes, you have two brothers. One of them kills the other brother. Then after that, you have another guy killing people. Then after that, I mean, it just, it's one big story for the next several chapters of relationships broken. Because sin comes in, we focus on ourselves, we have this self-centered viewpoint, and it starts to corrode community. It starts to break community. This is why, you know, Google, Google has an algorithm that when you type things in, you know, it autofills as an algorithm where the most common things. Here's what Google says about relationships, okay? What are relationships like? And it says relationships are hard, stupid, pointless work. Those are the first four things that come up. I mean, Think, I mean, we could fill that in with relationships are awesome, relationships are one, but the first four things that come up, relationships are hard, stupid, pointless work. Some of you are like, yes, how did you, were you on my computer? Or here's another one. Relationships are like sharks, sand, garage sales, and flowers. Now, I don't know what all those mean, but I mean that the first one is sharks, if you're like, man, okay, you know, I'm, I'm checking out church because I want some relationships. What are, what are relationships like? Ah, they're like sharks. They're going to eat you. They're like sand. You know, it's going to cling to you and get stuck in places you don't want it stuck in. And 
they're cheap and and I don't know why. I mean, I don't know what flowers, you know, maybe like a rose that looks pretty but it stabs you or or they die really quickly. I, I don't know, but that's what Google associates relationships with. Stupid, hard, pointless work, sharks, sand, garage sales, flowers. That's what relationships are like. Because we come in with our self-centeredness. We come in we come in with this longing for community. But then we come in focused on ourselves to use community. And think about that. We've got this good desire because in our DNA, we long to be with other people, to belong to a group of people, to associate and be connected, to have meaningful relationships with other people. We long for that. But because of our sin, we come in and go, how can I use other people? How can I use other people? Sometimes we do this for our sense of identity. How can I use other people to make me feel good about myself? I need other people so that I feel like I have value. I need them to respect me. I need them to appreciate me. I need them to see my worth. I need them to tell me I have that. I look to them for my very identity. This is what people talk about as codependency or things around that. And I need other people, otherwise I don't have an identity. So we come in to use people, right? Or we come in seeking to say, what can I get from others? Yes, I have this longing for community, but then self-centeredness comes in and says, I, I need, and there's a group of people here. I don't know how many people's in here, maybe 48 or something. Okay, sweet. I can, I can use these people for something. I can get something from them. And we come in with a mindset of what can I get? How can I use? Because that's the self-centeredness in us. So we have kind of this back and forth of, I long to belong to other people, but our self-centeredness comes in and messes it up because we say, how can I use people for what I want? How can I get from people? And then what happens is, usually we're disappointed. Other people don't give us what we want. Other people don't, we want other people to be the sense of our identity, but they fail in that because no one else can do that but God. And what ends up happening is then we go, man, people have hurt me. I want to back away. And so even the longing for community leads with our self-centeredness to pain, which then leads to isolation and we pull back. Or it leads to, man, how can I use people in community? How can I get from them? And so we put on a front, we put on a mask, we protect ourselves. And so we might kind of be in community, but never really experiencing it because we're protecting ourselves, because we're self-centered. I mean, this is, we have, it's so crazy, because we have this longing, it's in our DNA. God made us like this, to connect with others. But then our self-centeredness breaks it down and makes it hard. And I'm not saying everything is our fault, right? Other people have their self-centeredness, and their self-centeredness inflicts upon us, and it I mean, we have all of these sinful people with self-centeredness that collide against one another, and it makes it difficult. So we have a longing for community, but community becomes difficult. It becomes difficult. And over time, a lot of times we isolate or just leave. I can just do it better on my own. I can do it better on my own. It's too hard. So we're designed for it. Sin ruins it. How do we get the community we actually long for? How do we get the community that we are actually created for? 
And this is what Jesus came for. This is what we said at the very beginning. This is what the church is. What Jesus came for was to create a new community. What Jesus came to do was to create a new people. That's what Jesus came for, to create a people for himself, to bring people to himself, to to give us back the community that we lost, a community with him as king and us as his people. That's what he came to do. This is why oftentimes, in America especially, we view things very individualistically. You know, a while, long while ago, people had those shirts of Jesus is my homeboy. And maybe he is, okay? Maybe Jesus is your homeboy. I don't want to take that away from you. That would be so mean, okay? He's your homeboy. But it's a very individ- individualistic mindset of it's me and Jesus. It's me and him. Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is for me. And that's true, okay? But the primary way the Bible talks about Jesus' salvation and even his forgiveness and his redemption is in communal terms. It's that he came not to just die for an individual, to just give an individual a relationship, but to say, I've come to bring you as my people. Here's a couple places that this says this. This is in John's gospel as it's kind of introducing Jesus, and it says the true light, talking about Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So Jesus, God, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him, so people reject him. He came to his own, talking about the Jewish people, Israel. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, he brings them into a family who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then here's another place. Paul, writing to Titus, says this, for the grace of God has appeared, again, talking about Jesus, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes we go, okay, yeah, that's good. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus came for. He came, God is gracious to us. He saves us. He's going to work in our lives and, and from the inside out, training us to renounce things that are ungodly and not a part of him. And one day he's going to come back the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, there it is, me and Jesus. He's my homeboy. He's my Savior. My personal, we even say that a lot of times. That was really popular. Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. But here's the next part of the verse. Who gave himself for us, notice the plural again, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So it says Jesus came, why? To save us, to save us, to create for himself a people for his own possession. What God came to do, what Jesus came to do, was to give us the community that we long for. What Jesus came to do was to say, I came to bring you into a family. I came not to just save this person over here and save this person over here and save this person, but I came to create a family. I came to gather God's children. 
I came to bring people to God as their father and and then we relate to one another as brother and sister. That's what Jesus came to do, to create a family. Jesus comes to create a family and not just in some um, broad sense, but in the church. That's That's what we said. This is what the church is. It's a community of people. Jesus says, I came to create a church, to create a people for myself. He gives us what we long for. He gives us what we were made for. He brings us to himself and unites us to himself, the Bible says. And when he unites us to himself, he unites us to one another. So this is sometimes the Bible talks about uh, that we are Christ's body. That the church is the body of Christ. Because what that means is he brings all of these different people to himself and creates us as one. That with God as our father, we become brother and sisters. Listen, the people sitting next to you, if, if they're Christians, this, this will be your family for eternity. The family that you have that's your earth DNA family, they'll be your family too if they're Christians. But into eternity, the people that you share the blood of Christ with, that he saved them and brought them into the family, those are the people that forever will be your brothers and sisters. And that's what God says. The church is now that and will be that forever. So this is what it means to actually be a Christian. To be a Christian means that you are not just me and Jesus. It means God has brought me into his family that I'm joining a family. That's what it means. Which means this. It means it's an identity we have, not just activity that we do. What it means is that community is an actual identity. Right? Like, I'm a husband. That's an identity. I don't just do husband things. Right? I don't just say, okay, so today I'm going to do this husband thing and this husband thing and this husband thing. My identity when I joined in relationship with my wife is I am a husband. The same is true when you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, your identity now is we are a family. It isn't just, okay, I do kind of these community activities, maybe on Tuesday night or I do this get-together and I'm doing community activities. It's we are a family. We are community. You are my brothers and sisters. You are brothers and sisters. We are a family. That's what it means, which also some of you have family. Well, yeah, we all have families, right? And there's a lot of drama with families, right? I mean, no, so when I'm saying we're a family, that might be like, crap, that's not good, right? But we're a family. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches, that God brings all of these messed up sinners to himself and says, you're all brothers and sisters now. Now, that's great. Like, it's, man, it's good news. I mean, some people have horrible relationships with their earthly family and then are able to experience a spiritual family. But it doesn't mean, it's, it doesn't mean all the difficulty is gone. But it means that God does say, I'm your father, you are my children, and I make you, I give you family. And here, here's what that means. One of the things that the Bible says is that because of this, we belong to one another which is kind of a scary thing to think about, but here's what it says. Romans 12, Paul writes, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
that we are members of each other. So what he's saying is that this finger over here can't say, I belong to Caleb, but I don't belong to the arm, and I don't belong to the wrist. I, it's just me and Caleb. Well, no, sorry, this is kind of weird. Well, no, finger, you can't just be you and Caleb because you're attached to the hand, and the hand's attached to the wrist. You're, you belong to all of him. That's what he's saying with this, that we're one body. One body has all these different members. They don't all do the same thing. And though they're a bunch of different members, they're all one in Christ. And individually, they, they belong to one another. They're members of one another. The hand belongs to the wrist and the, and the knee bone's connected to the arm bone. Well, no, it's not. That's, you know, I, was, I, I was taught wrong, okay? So... Why, yeah, anyways, okay, so, so this means we belong to one another. And God says, I make you a family, and you don't just belong to me. You can't just claim it's just me and God, but that we belong to one another. That's what a family is, it's what a body is. The Bible uses a lot of different images to talk about this, to say we all belong to each other. And that, that has an amazing feeling to it of like, man, I. These people belong to me and I belong to them. And it also, I mean, just recognize it has a scary feeling to it. Like, oh, I have to belong to these other people? I mean, it's the same thing with back to marriage. Like, it's an amazing thing to say, I belong to this woman and she belongs to me. And that's awesome. But it's also, oh, you give up some freedom and you commit yourself and you, it changes things. And God says, when I, when I save people, I don't just save them by themselves. I adopt them into a family where I'm their father, and because I'm their father and they're connected to me, these are their brothers and sisters. This is what the Bible teaches, that we belong to one another. So how do we get the community we long for? Jesus creates it by bringing us into a new family, which means that we have a commitment to one another. It means that we are accountable to one another, that we are not just independent agents that do our own things, but that we, just like in a normal family, in a healthy functioning family, one person doesn't just say, I go and do this and do whatever I want, and I'm going to tell you about it, but they go, hey, let's talk about our life together, because we, we affect one another. Just like my hand can't say, hey, I'm going to go do this over here, and then the rest of my body says, what are you doing? You know, some people, there's an actual psychological disease that people have called um, alien hand syndrome. Google it, it's crazy. And people's hands just do their own things. It's kind of freaky, okay? Look it up. And they, something comes over them, and they're not, I mean, maybe they're making it up, but I mean, they've, I mean it's, people say, I have no idea what's happening with my hand. It's just doing things, okay? Maybe it's people just, you know, you go, ah, I wish I could make that excuse. But it's just, it's called alien hand syndrome, no joke. It's, it's real psychological disease, okay? Look it up. But it ruins their life. And that's, that, if we operate like that, when we're supposed to be one body functioning together, we're a family, it messes stuff up because God intends for us to function as a community together where we take one another into account. Which, what that also means is this, it means that we need one another, right? The hand needs the arm, needs the leg. If I want to eat, Several of my body members have to work together in order for me to have french fries. It takes a lot of work. The hand, the legs have to walk there or drive there. 
the hand has to put it in the mouth, the brain. I mean, everything has to function together. We need one another. That's part of what it means to be a family is that we need each other. I mean, what would it look like if more and more in your life you lived like, I need other people? Instead of our American idea of self-sufficiency, self-dependence, I do things on my own, I figure it out on my own, I don't need anybody, I make decisions on my own, I live my life on my own, it's me and God on my own. I mean, what if we really said, what does it look like to need one another? To say, I, I need you to help me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to, I mean, in practical ways, help me with physical needs. I need you for spiritual, I need you. What if we actually live like that more and more? See, how do we get the community that we long for? Jesus brings us into it. He saves us. He gives it to us. And then it's that very community that he uses to begin to shape us into that kind of community. He puts us into a community, and then that community begins to form us and shape us to be a loving community. Because we need one another. I mean, think about this. If you want to grow in your character, you might think, man, I could do that great on my own. You might think, by myself, I'm really patient. Right? I mean, just so you know, I am the most patient person in the world by myself. With no one to bother me, I'm the kindest person in the world. But, I mean, it takes other people to show us, man, I need help. I'm not that patient. I'm not that kind. I need other people. It takes other people to show us the good things, too. Man, you're really gifted in this. I see this in you. I see, I mean, we we need other people. God gives us a community, and then the community is actually what shapes us to become the kind of community that we long for. The same is true with God. Like, we need other people to help us see ourselves, and we need other people to help us see God. If it's just you and your perspective on God, you'll end up with a twisted perspective. You need other people to help you see what God is like. And we see God in one another because we bear God's image, and we bear God's image more fully when we're in community. I mean, you can see pieces of what God is like in other people. When I spend time with Hunter, man, I see some of, he's, you ask Hunter, how you doing? He says, excellent. Every time. One time he said, great. And I was like, what happened? But I see some of God's joy and some of what God is like and the the passion for life in Hunter. That's a reflection of God's image. And I could say many things with many of you because we all reflect God's image. Spend time with John, and John is one of the most faithful people. Faithful, continual. I see something of what God is like in that. That, Man, if that's coming out of him, that's a reflection of what God is. God is faithful. God is joyful. You ask God how he's doing, he says, excellent. I mean, that's you see reflections in people of what God is like. That's what it means to image God, that we reflect him. And we can't just do that by ourselves. So how does God, how do do we get the community we long for? Jesus brings us into it, but then he also uses the community to shape us to become the kind of people that he calls us to be. The very community that causes difficulty is what begins to chip away and shape us and show us where we need to grow. And then when that happens, we more reflect God. And so we more have the community we long for so that over time, more and more and more as a community, not just as individuals, we reflect what God is like. We show what God is like to one another and to the world. This is what the church is. And that's not not an idealistic vision. 
Because I'm not saying, isn't everything great and perfect? I'm saying even the difficulty is what God uses to show us how we grow and where we need to grow. That's what the church is. That's, how we, that's what Jesus died to create. The church community, we come to God and we come to him and he forms us into a family. We, none of us can fully experience what God has for us by ourselves. We can't. None of us can fully grow into who he's calling us to be, experience the joy, know our gifting and our skills, have the joy of serving. None of us can fully experience what God has for our lives by ourselves. We just can't. It's not how he designed us. It's not how he created us. And it's a beautiful, though difficult thing to say, I'm a part of a family. That's why for us, church membership is a really important thing. Because that's where we say, I'm a part of this family. This is a family I belong to. It's not just kind of some, oh yeah, I come and I get some teaching and I sing some songs and I kind of have relationship with people. But it's, this is my family. And I belong to these people and they belong to me. That's why community groups where we meet in homes during the week and are in part of each other's lives, that's why that's a really important part of our church. And when we started this church, we didn't start the church and say, man, where can we find a place where I can preach and people can learn? Now, that's good. Okay, that's an important part of a church community, but that's, that's not it. Like, what we are is a family, and that's what we strive to be and to grow into over the years. That takes more time than just saying, where can we get a building that people can come to? But to be a family? Man, that takes time. That takes work. That takes all of us saying, how do I love? How do I serve? And that's what we want to be as a church, as a family. To be the family of God. And that's what God has saved us for and called us into. I'm going to show you a video, and then I'll come up and um, give a closing thought. But this is a video that I just want to show you um, that kind of illustrates some of these things, okay? I'm Brendan. I'm Andrea. And uh, we moved to Denver about two and a half years ago. Yes, just right after we got married. So after we got married, so we've been married almost three years now. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the church. I was I was born to two uh, loving Christian parents. I've been going to Sunday school and church service and Wednesday night and potluck and everything since you know I have memories. Um, so I grew up in Colombia and I was raised Catholic. Eighty um, percent of uh, people in Colombia are Catholic, and my family was, of course. Catholic. Um, so I grew up going to a Catholic church. I had some great Christian friends growing up. I, um, I mean, all my, most all my friends were, you know, went to our church. But I never felt um, that I was learning about God. It was always um, just a phrase reading the Bible. And sometimes it was just not engaging. I was distracted. Um, so I felt like God was something here, and I was here, and there was a phrase. So I never felt a close relationship. But as soon as I moved away, I moved off to college, 
never really connected with with the church and never really connected with another group of friends, another group of Christian friends. I just never found anything that just really fit, that really worked for me, where I felt comfortable, um, where I felt God calling me to, or perhaps it was just me rejecting not wanting to like put forth the effort to do it to find it but i just i never connected with anything and we knew we wanted to find a church and we tried a couple but honestly um i didn't feel engaged or i didn't get the message that they were trying to tell me and we're looking in all these different directions for all these different you know things um we realized we we're looking for community the first time we went to real life church um it was just so easy to understand the message uh, that we kept going, kept going, kept going. My relationship with God has increased from here to here because now I'm, I pray, I feel like almost every day I started to understand what it really means to be a Christian, what um, is the Bible for, um, why we have a relationship with God. Um, I feel like He's with me all the time, all the time. It wasn't as much as just going to church on a Sunday, but once you know, we started attending community group is when we really felt that growth, when we really felt like a change in our, our lives and, and in our lives internally, our relationship with Christ. But also we found Christians that we that I wanted to hang out with again. It's, it's just so hard to do it on our own, right? It's so hard to do it alone. Jesus is always there, we have the Holy Spirit, but it's just so tough, you know, as humans to remember that, to, um, to God it alone, you know, and Christ said, you know, in the, in the New Testament, like, that we need to be in fellowship with other Christians, and I'd always read it, and I always said, that'd be great if I could only find some Christians that I actually want to hang out with, I and did. I had, and I did. Now I feel we're in a community where we can talk about our faith, where we can share our troubles, where we can share our, our, our ups, our downs, our lefts, our rights, you know, and we have not only a community group to help support us, we have an amazing church to help support us, but ultimately we found together a renewed faith in Christ that even if that community group were to go away, if we were to move along or something would happen that we've at least, you know, found our way back to, you know, the real message, the real gospel, and that's Jesus Christ. So a couple things. One of the things really cool about that video is that he said, you know, we had all these things we were longing for, searching for, and didn't know that really what it was that we were looking for was community. And then once we found that, we knew, man, this is what the longing of my heart had been. And another cool thing is that, you know, they actually moved away um, to be missionaries at a, a Christian school in South Korea. And um, they'll actually probably be here next Sunday, though they're coming to stay with us. Um, but he said, man, we, w once we found this, we know that wherever we go, whether whether we move along or wherever we go, we found, we know, man, this is, this is what it was that we were looking for. So wherever we go, wherever we move on to, we know, man, that's what we need again. And not just that they found community, but they said that the community also once again led them back to the gospel. So here's what we'll talk about. 
in the coming weeks. The gospel is what leads us to community, and then community once again leads us back over and over again into a deeper understanding of the gospel. That's what I was trying to say in saying that God brings us into community through the gospel, but then it's that very community that shapes us and forms us to be the kind of people shaped by the gospel to more fully know who God is. So what is the church? The church is a community of people. It's God's family. And so if you're a Christian, you're family, you're family, you're brothers and sisters. And if you're not, God invites you into his family. He doesn't just invite you into a personal relationship with him, but he actually invites you into a family to have brothers and sisters and a father, him. And as we take communion, I want to read you a verse. Even as we take communion, you know, I don't always highlight this aspect of communion. In communion, we remember that Jesus shed his blood and had his body broken for us to forgive us of our sins and to bring us into his family. And it's often a very individualistic thing if we think about it. He forgave my sin, he saved me, and yet it's a community thing because we're drinking from the same cup, we're eating from the same bread, to remember that we're all united around him. And here's what Paul says in in the book of Corinthians. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The, The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And he's reminding us that even as we come to take communion, remember, yes, Jesus has saved you. Yes, he's forgiven you. Yes, he's cleansed you. Yes, he's redeemed you. And he's given you a family that we all share in that around him together. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are Our Father, thank you that we are your children. That we should be called your children. That you should be called our Father. We thank you for that. That such great love that you would give us a family. That you would not just save us, but adopt us. That you would give us a people to belong to. That you would give us a family to belong to forever. We thank you for that. God, I I know that you love every single person in this room. And I thank you that we get to be a part of that love in one another's lives by showing your love to one another. God, thank you for the gift of community that you've given to us. Lord, for people that are checking things out and have a desire and have a longing for community, I pray that you will give that to them. Pray that, Lord, you would convict us of our sin of self-centeredness that ruins community. Thank you that you forgive us of that. Thank you that you redeem us from that. God, thank you that you work in our lives through community. Help us to see that as a reflection of you. Help us to look at one another as brothers and sisters, not just as people we can use. Thank you, God, that you are a father and that you give us the gift of family. Thank you, Lord, in your name.